right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, I cannot believe it's already episode nine of Slice of Life Sciences. Uh, today makes for another great discussion. Um, we have Mimi Yen, who is the CEO and co-founder of Phage Pro, which she co-founded, I believe, in 2016. Um, great. I'm on the right track. Um, <laughs> and it's an early stage biotech uh, therapeutics company that develops uh, bacteriophage-based products to help um, vulnerable communities across the world. So um, Mimi, you have an impressive, incredible journey. Um, we're excited to hear about what you're doing today, but also just dive in about, or dive into where you grew up, what you, where you came from, all that good stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thank you for the invite. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Wonderful. Um, we appreciate it very much. So um, I like to typically start off with uh, conversations with co-founders like yourself or founders um, of early stage companies and, and like I said, get a sense of who you are as a person to lead us into what you're doing today. So um, without further ado, I'll, 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 I'll kick things off by asking where you grew up, um, what your interests were, inspirations starting at a young age. And I know we were just chatting offline a little bit about it. So um, yeah. anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Virginia in a suburb um, outside of DC called Herndon. Um, and I come from an immigrant family. I am Taiwanese American. Um, and I think it was a privilege to grow up outside of DC because it was such a diverse community. Um, and it's one of my driving uh, motivations for what I want to do um, in terms of impact for the biotech community and for my company as well. Um, so that is one of the inspirations for um, how I want to lead. Um, one of the inspirations for science um, we were just chatting about the access to free museums. Yeah. Um, the Smithsonian. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a huge benefit is that teachers can take their students on field trips um, and have um, students go in for free. And one of my favorite ones was the Natural History Museum. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be like an archaeologist. And I was like watching Indiana Jones, <laughs> like looking at all the fossils. Um, and I loved like rocks and gemstones and everything. Um, ultimately, did not go down that path, um, obviously. I am in more of the life sciences route. But I think that sparked an interest, at least in the sciences. Um, and because I was in Northern Virginia, um, one of the great things that I was able to apply to was the Thomas Jefferson um, School for Science and Technology, which is a magnet program. I don't think I would have been able to get in now since the competition's been so fierce. Don't, don't sell yourself. Did you do that on your own <laughs> to apply for um, that? Yeah, so it feels like a college application. You do like recommendations. There is an entrance exam. Um, I didn't I either they didn't exist when I was applying or I didn't know about them but um you actually have like books and like study guides now to help you apply for this I didn't do any of that <laughs> um which talks about equity to education and all of that but in any case I was very privileged to go to TJ um and have fantastic teachers there and that's where my life science interest really grew um 
a lot of the teachers there are quite devoted to teaching and experiential learning. Um, so I was able through my AP biology classes already to read articles, primary literature, analyze that. A lot of stuff that you learn about in college, I was already exposed to and developing the skill set for in high school. So I'm very thankful to my teachers and my, my environment for that opportunity. Did, they, did your teachers and I guess the environment you were in, did it help you figure out where you wanted to go for undergrad and what you wanted to focus on in, in your studies? And I guess yeah. where did you go in undergrad and I'd love to hear a little bit about um, what you studied there and just some of the projects yeah. you worked on. Yeah, um, so I ended up going to MIT for my undergrad to do a biological engineering degree. Um, I No free don't... admissions to museums around no. Boston. Mm Mm -mm. No, the security <laughs> stops you, for sure. <laughs> Learned that as an 18-year-old. Um, I don't think that I would have applied to MIT, heard about MIT, or anything like that if I didn't go to TJ, and I think that's why um, exposure as um, a high schooler to all of the uh, different educational opportunities is so important. Um, my AP Biology teacher in particular, Dr. Paul Kammer, was um, very proactive in seeking education opportunities for his students. So there's something that MIT does called the Lemelson Invent Team, which is high schoolers from around the nation compete and um, talk about innovation to in healthcare. Um, and we had applied as a high school team and were able to come to MIT and oh. present as high schoolers, which was really cool. And that's why I was so interested in MIT afterwards. Um, and when I got in, I um, immediately sought out undergraduate research opportunities, which is something that MIT promotes and offers um, to its students, even if you have no level of research experience. Um, and one of the projects that I became more involved in is oral vaccine delivery, but on the engineering side, wow. so figuring out formulations that would make oral vaccines more efficacious, especially in resource-limited communities. Um, so through that science exposure and work that I did with Amnesty International as a student chapter there and Glo uh, Global Poverty Initiative here, it kind of combined all of my, all of my passions and interests with the science. Um, and I think put me on this path here today. Is that pretty unique that MIT allows for undergrad research projects like that versus other universities? I, I do think it's a special um, program that MIT offers. I think other, I think MIT has so many resources yeah. and the infrastructure as well. There's so much research going on. Um, that I, the institute actually pays its research assistance, so I used it as a way of income as yeah. well, because MIT is expensive. <laughs> this is like a paltry sum for <laughs> research, but it, it, every little bit helps. Um, so I do think it's a unique opportunity that as an 18-year-old, as a freshman, you can apply to labs, express interest, and get research experience, and get involved in big projects that way, and get a lot of exposure. And then, so so after MIT, you made your way to Tufts mm -hmm. as a doctoral candidate, later postdoc, um, research scholar. Did you, I, I guess I don't want to dive into 
Phage Pro or the genesis of that just yet, but sure. did you start having an idea that you may want to start a company as you were leaving MIT going in there, or were you just taking one step at a time at this point? And I guess just tell us about your experience at Tufts as well. Yeah, absolutely. One step at a time. <laughs> okay. I think um, people usually draw the connection. They're like, oh, MIT is known for being so entrepreneurial. That's Is that where you got the bug? I did not. <laughs> That's not the case. There's no bug. <laughs> there. Um, I left MIT. I wasn't a very good engineer also, but the philosophy that I took from MIT engineering program is that I wanted to develop solutions um, so when I studied something I wanted to do it with the ultimate goal of helping people um, so the reason I decided to go to Tufts for a microbiology um, PhD is that I wanted to understand pathogens better I thought I didn't um, have enough expertise in pathogens I didn't really understand the enemy so to speak um, so I wanted to really dive in onto the basic research um, go back to biology, which was my first love in high school anyway, um, to really um, understand more so that I can ultimately develop solutions um, that would help solve epidemics and help disrupt outbreaks and um, ultimately control them. But I thought I was going to do that as a scientist, so I thought after my PhD, I would go to a nonprofit institution that was doing research, something like um, the PATH Institute out in Seattle, or mm -hmm. at the time the Infectious Diseases Research Institute also in Seattle. I thought that's where that's where how um, my role was going to be in terms of how I can make an impact. And I guess how so how did I guess taking us into during or and or after I assume. Did you meet your co-founders at Tufts of PhagePro? And just, I guess, we can jump right into it, but what was the genesis? How did you meet them? How did it come about? Give us the, give us the good stuff. Sure. Uh, my co-founder is my PI <laughs> for my PhD. Um, I don't think it's that unusual for academic spin-outs where it's a PI and a student or a PI and a postdoc that are spinning something out of university. Um, but I chose this lab because I was really interested in cholera, um, but also his mentoring style really, really fit mine as well. And for PhD, ideally you would have one or the other. I was lucky enough to have both. Um, so when I joined the lab, they were doing basic phage research, um, just characterizing cholera phages with the idea that maybe it could be turned into a product or an intervention later on, but no one had really tested that out experimentally yet. So for my thesis project with the philosophy in mind that I wanted to, why I decided to do a PhD, that's the project that I wanted to take on. Um, by the time we finished the animal studies, it was so promising that I felt that I, I just had to take it out of the lab. There was no way that it can just sit in academia, in a published paper. Um, and because cholera is not something that people generally pour money into, if not me, who? Um, so Tufts at the time was doing um, campaigning for their 100K entrepreneurship competition. 
Um, I went to an info session. There was like three of us there. <laughs> um, and decided to apply. Um, it was myself, my PI, and a postdoc, um, Lynn Cairns, that, um, or Dr. Lynn Cairns, that I was working with on this project for three scientists, no business experience, um, decided to apply for this entrepreneurship competition and got to the finals, got second place, got winnings, and got traction, and then you just had to do something with what, it. And, so. and it's like a pitch, I imagine it's like a pitch type competition almost in front of tons of people. Oh yeah, I when I look back on my pitch, I'm like, oh gosh, I have learned quite a bit. <laughs> deleted after, the recording after being here. I'm so surprised that we got that far. Um, and looking back, it was like a paper proposal, then a pitch, and then um, another huge pitch. And I, yeah, I'm very surprised we got that far, but if we didn't, then I don't think I would have any push to actually make something out of this in a commercialized way. So wow. that's where we are. What, uh, I guess for in simple terms, what, what does Phage Pro aim to do? And I, I guess just tell us a little bit about how the world will benefit from your mission and the solutions you provide. Yeah, um, so phages themselves are viruses that specifically target and kill bacteria. So. Um, what PhagePro is about then is using phages and developing them as solutions to reduce antibiotic resistance um, in low and middle income countries um, in resource limited settings in particular. So we really work at the intersection of global health and biotech. Um, and our first product goes off of my PhD work, so it's going to be a cocktail of phages that is meant to be um, orally taken um, when you are a family member of a cholera patient and it's meant to disrupt that type of household transmission and the reason that we're focused on the prophylactic part is when we talk to clinicians who see cholera cases all the time they say that the patient comes in with cholera the family member comes into the clinic as well and there's nothing they can provide to the family member to protect them and then two days later that family member comes in so it's about filling a gap in the current approach to cholera prevention and um, the current approach to controlling cholera outbreaks to make sure that there is an immediate intervention that can be provided not only for the family member but to ultimately control that outbreak within that community as well. Well, what you can, you briefly mentioned it, but I guess what are the the biggest challenges? in this sector that are posing themselves for you? Yeah, um, I think the two biggest ones are probably manufacturing and funding. So because phages are a new modality, um, there are starting to be more organizations involved in manufacturing phage, thinking about formulating and all of like the fill and finish that we now take for granted when we think about vaccines and small molecules such as antibiotics. But that hasn't really been set up for phage yet. And you need all of those pieces of the infrastructure in order to successfully deliver a drug. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have um, encountered in terms of how do you 
almost build a system up from scratch yeah. and build an ecosystem up from scratch. Um, oh, so you're saying it's not as easy to just outsource manufacturing because it hasn't been done before. Right. It hasn't been done on the scale that we're looking looking for. Um, and to do that, you need funding. Um, and Phage is starting to get more investment and more attention. It's starting to be a much hotter area to um, invest in because of the antibiotic resistance crisis. Um, but it's not as much money as, as other things because it is an antimicrobial and antimicrobials historically in biotech have been very difficult to fund and also financially sustainable for companies to keep, um, keep on the market. Um, and then added on top of both of that is the context of working in global health. So then we're working in emerging markets, we're working in areas that um, we really have to focus on developing relationships and build trust um, because we need to work with in-country partners yeah. and we really need to make sure that we're not taking advantage of communities because of the power dynamics between high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries. So there's a lot of nuances to work within when you work with um, global health diseases. So there are tons of things I assume you're doing day-to-day -day based on that. So I guess what what is your typical day-to-day? -day? Is it a combination of funding, working with global health, obviously managing the company? Just take us through, I guess, your responsibilities within, because I imagine you don't have too much time off. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, it's change like I like to describe it as different stages so we as a company were um, fortunate enough to receive a phase two SBIR grant from the government which is three years so we're in the second year of that so the first year I said it was building so it was hiring people it was setting culture for the company it was starting to see what relationships we need to have um, now we're in our second year, and um, I think as opposed to other biotechs, we have a pretty long runway, so I have the opportunity to almost sit still <laughs> and learn. Um, so right now what we're doing on my day-to-day -day this week is negotiating license agreements with Tufts University to use the IP so that we can commercialize the phages. Mm -hmm. It's asking a lot of really big questions around access to medicine. How can we, at the beginning of setting up phage therapies um, infrastructure, really shape the ecosystem so that um, we can fulfill our mission of phages for all and having access to um, medicine in a way that um, has not been happening for vaccines and other medicines. Um, it's checking in with my team um, now that I have a team, and that's also a really steep learning curve um, because I don't have a COO. Mm -hmm. um, so CEOs tend to be on the strategy side, on the external relationship building side, but because I don't have a COO, I also have to manage my, my team and be almost like an HR capacity for them as well. So just today, we were talking about the mass shootings that have been happening the past two weeks and how do we take care of ourselves as a team how do we be kind to each other how do we think about um, 
what that means for us if we're distracted um, at work, how that's okay. So we talk through a lot of those issues as well together as a team and that also is something that um, as a CEO you have to talk about yep. with your team in order to make sure that they their mental health is functioning at their best as it can be working in a startup like this. So it's a lot of different things um, but that's where we are right now. Hopefully that answered that question. Yeah, no, it did. <laughs> that was a great answer. Um, I guess what's is is building the company like almost taking that a step further is building a have you thought about the culture you want and the company you want to build growing moving forward and i guess which is what it excites you the most about the third year of the grant and then beyond yeah so i'm really excited um externally about these conversations that i've been having about phage therapy infrastructure so going back to what i said before about setting up manufacturing regulatory um, building relationships with community health workers and local um, organizations and nonprofits that have been doing global health work um, for decades now um, that part i'm really excited about because it is um, figuring out a new model um, so if we are successful as a phage therapy community, as a phage therapy industry sector in pushing phages so that it can be a viable alternative for antibiotics, that is world changing. Yeah. So the role that I see phage pro in doing is facilitating all these connections so that the vulnerable communities aren't left behind when we do so. And they are so often left behind. So how can we almost flip the script um, right at the beginning so that we're prioritizing the communities that are most affected by antibiotic resistance that need these medicines right at the beginning? And how can we include them in, in this process of building up and think about how we can also use it to build up workforce capacity in these countries as well? Um, so that's what I'm really excited about. It's a really challenging problem, um, but I think that we are at the cusp of something huge for phage therapy. Um, so I'd, <clears throat> I'd love for phage pro um, to be a part of that conversation. Um, and then for my team, um, I am very excited to build a team that does not classically look like a biotech team. Um, so we often say that we're changing what biotech looks like. Um, and that's because the conversations that we have on our team, we are very frank about DEI. We um, talk very openly about what diversity and inclusion means. And on the team level, that means not just having BIPOC at the entry level, research associate, yep. research technician level. Yep. That means having a diverse board. It means having a diverse leadership team. So as I start to look for people in those roles, that's what I'm excited about bringing aboard. Um, people who have not been represented in leadership teams on biotech and how can we um, create a culture together that really invites inclusivity and diversity of thought, but also allows us to really bring our whole identities to the table um, in a way that is um, 
not only good for science, but also good for the people yeah. who are working in your company. So that's what I'm excited about. That's great. Um, do you, I guess just out of curiosity, what you, for phage therapy in the communities that you're impacting and, and going to be working with, do you travel a ton to these various countries and, and communities? Is that a big part of kind of letting them know what you're up to with the in parallel with global health organizations? Yeah. Um, so we have a really strong partnership with a hospital in Bangladesh called the International Center for Diarrheal Disease Research, um, which is in Dhaka. And I try to make it there uh, annually. And I think that's the essential part of Phage Pro. If you don't have um, great working relationships with these organizations and you don't build trust for right from the start, then you can't possibly be, or not can't possibly, I know it's been done in the past, but it would be very hard to get a product to the vulnerable communities that you're trying to impact in a way that is um, thoughtful and in a way that um, those communities will also accept. So I travel to Bangladesh once a year um, now to visit our collaborators, learn from them, also um, look at the cholera situation um, mm -hmm. as um, the years go by. And I think that is also a very important piece for me because with climate change also, you can see how cholera and other diarrheal diseases are having a larger impact on the community because climate change, more flooding, longer rainy seasons, more diarrheal disease transmission. Um, so it really spells out the urgency, um, not only for me, but also for the team that I bring so that they can understand exactly what the community is going through. Mm -hmm. um, I, I notice we're, we're running up on, on time, but I do, always ask each uh, founder that joins this question um, I mean I, I can tell how passionate and genuine you are as you speak which I, is awesome hearing it so and you did mention you took it one step at a time but what <laughs> what advice would you give to someone else I guess in your shoes however many years ago at Tufts that kind of finds their passion and says I want to start this yeah, um, I would say give yourself permission to take up space. Um, so I think when I was a grad student, I didn't realize there was a lot of scientist CEOs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't realize um, that I was capable of running a company, of starting a company. Um, and I think one of the things you learn as a PhD is that you take in a ton of information and you apply it really quickly to your experiments. And that is a skill that I have relied on over and over again as I learn how to be a leader, as I learn how to run a company, as I learn how to develop a product um, for commercialization. Um, and I would say to not forget that and to advocate for those skills for the position that you want because ultimately if you're passionate about a project and people are telling you you can't do it you can't possibly do it you just got to trust yourself yeah. and give it a try and see what happens and 
So we're just taking it milestone by milestone <laughs> here as well. Um, and I think giving yourself permission to take up space in that way and defy those people who say you can't do it is really important. It's powerful. Well, thank you so much, Mimi. Um, thank you. It's been great. Um, so thank you. Um, we look forward for everyone to, to hear your story and and I look forward to continuing to read about Paige Pro and, and you and all your successes. So thanks again. Well, thank you. It's been a lovely conversation. Thanks for having me.